Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, March 9th. Welcome to another episode of the North Fort Worth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Boyd, and I'm joined this afternoon by Pastor Stephen Lowry. Welcome, Pastor Stephen. It is great to be back with you for another Tuesday afternoon. It's been seven days since our last visit, and we've touched on an I Am statement on Sunday since then, and we are... This is we're coming up on week five of the statements. We've been in the series a little bit longer than that. And we were joking before uh, the podcast started that it feels like we've been in this series much longer because we, we lost had, a week. We lost uh, the week that. with the storm. We had the introductory week to the, the series. Um, but we're still here. We're rolling through them. We are steadily making our way. And in fact, yesterday I sent out a, an email, Josh, to those who attend here asking people to take a look at the statements that we've looked at thus far, yeah. which we've looked at four. Uh, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now, my question, though, that I posed to the, to the folks in the email was, do you already have a favorite? Now, I, I know that I do. I'm curious, uh, Josh, do you have a favorite of the four th- so far? Of the four so far, I think it it may change depending on the season of life that you ask me but i think right now the one that means the most to me um is john 8:12 when we talk about the light of the world jesus being the light of the world and um in a in a dark place there is still hope in jesus and i think that's very very timely to um a lot of the the cultural and global and just everything that we're going through right sure. now as a as a culture that one I think resonates the most with me. But what about you? What's well, your... I, I would echo that. I think of the four that we've looked at so far, um, that statement that it's reveals a Jesus yeah. to be the light is is so helpful. I, it it reassures us when he promises uh, to enable us to walk in the light and to have yeah. life as we experience that. But uh, as we relate to him for who he is, we're never in the dark. I mean, that's the, now I may not make sense of everything that's happening around me, but if I'm following him and relating to him for who he is, I'm never in the dark. And so that, yeah, I think that's my favorite. Those of you that are listening to us today, uh, it would be interesting to even hear back from you. uh, If you're willing to share your favorite I am statement, uh, you can email us now. Tell me again that address. Podcast at NorthFortWorth.com. Please email us your favorite. We really would like to hear from you. And uh, it, one, helps us recognize that we have some that are participating with us in the podcast, but it also engages you in what we're doing. Now, I said I am the light of the world is probably my first choice. I have a a very, very close second, and it was the focus that we uh, directed our attention to this past Sunday, where Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. And I, I particularly like that description of Jesus because it's Jesus telling us that he assumes responsibility for us. Sure. He is the shepherd who uh, has committed himself to watch over us, and he's so committed to that, uh, as he states in that 10th chapter, he lays down his life for us. So there's, there's yeah. a, a wholehearted commitment on his part to assume our care, and we, we touched on that a little bit on Sunday. And I love the emphasis you made, too, on Sunday with uh, the separation between those original words and the language there, the I am the shepherd, the yeah, good it, shepherd. It's kind of lost know, in our English translation. such uh, a worthwhile look. But it was an emphatic point yeah. on Jesus' part. He's not just a shepherd. <laughs> He's the shepherd, <laughs> the good shepherd, yeah. and uh, and and. Those that have come to know him in faith, I think we've come to appreciate that that's absolutely true. And uh, as I 
indicated yesterday in my email, I could have gone on on Sunday. Now, some people would have started looking at, uh, <laughs> at their watches. But uh, later on in the same 10th chapter, uh, Jesus describes just how committed he is to us as shepherd. And he, he tries to offer to us some powerful words of reassurance. Let me share them with you. It's found in John 10, verse 27. Uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Then he adds, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. When I read these few verses, it's at least is obvious to me, Jesus is trying to assure our hearts that uh, under his care, our lives are secure, but even more, our salvation is secure. In these few verses, Jesus states, I think in the clearest of terms, that uh, he gives us this eternal life and no one's going to snatch us out of that. Yeah. And security is really the theme of today. If we were to put a theme on today's podcast, we're gonna we're gonna look at several different things. So I'll just I'll frame the question to you, um, and we'll try to to, to phrase it in, in three different ways here. So here, the question is, how secure are we in God's salvation? So we know that this verse uh, really points to that that He who is greater than I am will never be separated from that. You know, there's right. no separation in that. But how if we were to break it down to really just look and into just it how, closely, how secure yeah. are we when it comes to the salvation that the New Testament describes is available to us in Jesus. And I think this is a pertinent question because uh, even among various Christian denominations, uh, there can appear to be some differences of opinion. Yeah, definitely. Where you can go to some churches and they'll say, listen, yes, you you can find salvation in Jesus, but be careful. Yeah. Uh, You might lose that salvation. And so, When I come to a passage like I read for you a moment ago in John 10, it seems to indicate to me that no, if we truly have come to know Jesus and his salvation, then there is a a security there that should help our hearts to to rest in that. Now, I think a a helpful way to kind of evaluate that is to ask and answer three questions. And again, uh, let me just describe all of the questions on the front end, and then Josh, maybe we can walk through each yeah, of them. Yeah. But as I, as I read these questions to you today, uh, whether you're driving or you're just listening at home, uh, try to answer the question as quickly as you can to, to see if maybe uh, you're gonna reach the same points of view. And it's important sometimes, I think, with topics like this, and you'll notice the format that we use here, if you're listening, we're answering a question with a question. Yeah, <laughs> and, we are. Um, and sometimes that gets frustrating, I think. But in situations like this, it it helps us to break one large question down into smaller aspects and think, well, really, what does Scripture tell me about this? How how What is my conviction in this? What does my relationship with the Lord tell me in this? So I love that we're doing this, but just to give clarity to answering questions with questions. Yeah. So here, <laughs> here are the questions I want you to, to think with me about. First, will God take back what He freely gives. Second, can we undo what Jesus does? Or if you want to phrase it, can we undo what Jesus did? And then third, at the end of the day, who has the greater power? Jesus or you? 
Now think about those questions and then uh, let's see if maybe we can reach some consensus yeah. about it. We'll leave a cliffhanger, I think, with the third one. We'll start at, yeah, we'll start at one there. I think it'll be interesting to see how the brain uh, thinks on the, the third one. It's kind of a big question, kind of a, um, a, a hard one to be faced with. But the, the first question that you mentioned, will God take back what he freely gives? And I think that's a, a pretty important question for us to answer when we talk about salvation. I mean, is salvation something that we achieve or is it something that we receive? Now, if you're familiar with the, the Gospels and certainly with the uh, writings of Paul especially, you'll find a great deal of emphasis on salvation being received like a gift. Sure. Uh, a, a very familiar verse is found in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, where Paul summarizes it this way, for the wages of sin is death, and that's what we deserve, that's what sure. we earn, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Paul does is create a contrast for us. First of all, he acknowledges um, the outcome of our wrong should be judgment. Sin leads to death. But God has provided a solution, and the solution isn't for us to try harder. The solution is for us to receive a gift by mm. faith, the, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of a relationship with God as we respond to Jesus Christ. And think about what an active response of reception that is, too. You know, we, when we think about um, earning salvation, and what's clearly laid out here in Romans 6.23, we know what we've earned. The, right. The it's earning pretty is, evident. The earning is not our salvation. The earning is, is what's being kept from us, what God is uh, um, providing a way out for us for, you know, and I think that's important, too, to note there. And, and really, if you think about it now, here Paul states it, uh, salvation is a free gift yeah. that we receive by faith. Now, here's the question. Will God take back what he's freely given. In other words, can you do something at a later point in time that results in God saying, nope, you got to give me that back. Right. Is there a uh, lifestyle it's, yeah, or it's a no sin longer choice? Yours. Or a, yeah. You've crossed a line. So this gift that I gave you is no longer yours. I claim it. I take it back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that what God would do? Now, there's another passage where, where Paul addresses the idea of salvation as a gift found in the book of Ephesians. Again, these are familiar verses, but let me read them for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, which is the term that describes God's activity, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, yeah. not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So once again, Paul is trying to emphasize for our benefit that we receive salvation like a gift. Now, do understand, now God's not going to impose the gift on you. There is the act of reception. Sure. We respond by faith. We trust in who Jesus is and the promise that he makes. But as soon as I respond to him in that way, the testimony is really exciting. He then imparts to us the gift of eternal life. Yeah. And would he then at a later point take that away? Well, if you listen to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he certainly would not, because you see, we receive the gift as a result of his activity. I would stress we continue to benefit from the gift because of his activity. Yeah. Uh, if at any point in, along the way it becomes dependent on my activity, then the possibility is at some later point 
I might boast about that. I'm going to actually sure. begin to say, yeah, Jesus started it for me. But at the end of the day, I really was the one who rallied around and did what was needed to maintain my salvation. Paul would, I think, try to help us to realize, no, no, no. Salvation is more wonderful than we ever imagined. It is actually a gift that you receive, and it's a kind of gift that God will never take back. Yeah. I think it's important too to look at and even answer <laughs> answer the, the question for the question with another question of what uh what good does it do God to take back a gift you know what what purpose does God have with you know rescinding salvation and I, that has always made me think you know what what um, that goes against so many attributes of God and the love that He has for us and the cross is negated I think the the, cro- the value of the crucifixion is lessened. Oh, I think so. And if you view salvation in the context of covenant, when you look at how God has revealed himself in relating to people by covenant, he's committed to that covenant as he was to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And now as the new Israel in the New Testament, as we've responded to Christ, um, he's committed to the covenant. And, And so the gift is is imparted to us because of the relationship that was established through Jesus. And so, no, he's not going to violate his own commitment to us in that regard. Uh, He's faithful where we're not. And we can, I think, find a sense of peace inwardly in knowing that our salvation is secure because he is faithful in that way. And he's not going to turn around and say, oh, you know, you disappointed me. I'm taking the gift back. So we know that God is certainly not going to take back what he freely gives, but that leads us kind of to the second question. Well, okay, now we know the answer to that one. What about us? Can we undo what Jesus has done, what Jesus does, what Jesus did? Any article you want to put there towards the end of that sentence, but can we undo that? And see, that that is the argument that maybe some other denominations would try to introduce, that um, it's possible, based on your future actions, that you will lose your salvation, that your actions could result in you undoing what Jesus provided for you. Again, going back to the gift analogy, uh, could result in him taking back what he freely gave. And once more, if you really think that through, uh, it, it, it has a measure of absurdity to it. I mean, honestly, can I by my actions undo something that Jesus did for me? Can I, can I act in a way that yeah. would in some way demonstrate a, a greater? It feels like such an arrogant approach. It really me. does. And I know that that may not be the posture of the question, but you know, it seems like such a, such a lofty approach of you, of you or opinion of ourselves to even be able to process <laughs> a question yeah, well, like that. Where does it place the attention? It sure. puts the attention on you sure. primarily. Now, it starts with Jesus. I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. But from that point on, if you really think through what (laughs) is expressed, the attention shifts. But then I. To you. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, going back to the I am statements, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, at John 10, verse 9, uh, where Jesus says, I am the door. Then he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, what's significant to me is 
It's just a matter of fact on Jesus' part. He says, now you, you enter by me, you respond to me, and we, we know that that's highlighting a faith response. You enter by him, what he states is, okay, this is what results. You will be saved. And then you will go in and out and find, and what's been described there is, is even the fullness of life. But from Jesus' perspective, there has been an immediate, an, an immediate outcome as a result of your response of faith. Yeah. He's changed something on your behalf. He has saved you. Now, can I then potentially undo that? I remind you of Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Again, this is a verse, if you're listening, you could probably say it out loud with me, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Once again, Jesus is the one who's speaking. And what does he, he testify to? He says, now, if, if you will respond to me for who I am, what will come as a result of that is salvation. Sure. He will not perish, but will have something that is now eternal in quality. Now, if you really want to play some word games there, if it's possible for you to have sal uh, eternal salvation, uh, then doesn't that by its very nature imply that there's no possibility that it could be interrupted or it's not eternal? Right. I mean, if there was a chance that I could lose my salvation, Jesus probably would have said, whoever believes in me will not perish and will have the possibility of right. the life potential. eternal. Yeah. But he wouldn't state it emphatically, but the way Jesus expresses it is, you believe in me, you will have something that is now eternal in nature, which guarantees it can't be interrupted. And that's something that's so hard for our earthly human brains that are very temporal to uh, to com to uh, um, to contemplate on. I sure. shouldn't think of the word there. Uh, it's, it's hard for us to fathom that something that that is eternal of that scale. But I love the way you put that just now. That it there's a separation there between something that could potentially be eternal, something that could possibly have the effect of eternity. No, he is says eternal. You, and the verb, if you, again, look at it in the way that it's expressed in the Greek language, the verb is worded in a way where it says, this is in your possession. Yeah. So I now have something in my possession that is by its very definition, never ending, wow. which implies I can't lose that or it wouldn't be eternal. It indicates that there's something now at work in me that will touch eternity itself. Now, I know you're listening, so what, again, sometimes Christians can make some really bad decisions. Uh, they can still falter, and I don't disagree with that, but I remind you what Jesus goes on to say in verse 18 of that same passage, John 3, 18, whoever believes in him, referring to Jesus, he is not condemned. That's just a statement of fact. And that not only indicates your past sins, that actually, I think, is, is uh, directing us to appreciate that's the whole of our lives. Because of Jesus, I can be confident that I will not be condemned because of my sin. Now, yeah. if I don't have Jesus, goes wow. on, Jesus goes on to say, whoever does not believe is condemned already. And so uh, the, if the question is, can we undo what Jesus does well, if you let, just let Jesus speak for himself, the answer would be no, you can't. Yeah. 
because of the power of what he did. So we've touched on the first two there, and this is, I'm sure if people were listening to those first three questions, they think, where are they going to go with this third one? But I think this kind of wraps things up for us as we have touched on those first two questions. The third question, at the end of the day, who has the greater power, Jesus or me? And we touched a minute ago on how arrogant, really, the view becomes. And this one, exactly like this, too. It's such a, a pointed question, but how can, how can we explore this a little bit deeper? Well, again, just think through the question. At the end of the day, who has the greater power? Does Jesus have the greater power or do I have the greater power? Now, if I claim that my actions can undo what Jesus did, if I claim that my actions can reverse the gift that God has given, if I claim that, then what I'm claiming is I possess a power that's greater than Jesus' power. Now, you might celebrate just how beautiful the power of Jesus is at the start, but if my future hope is dependent upon my continuing success, my continuing faithfulness, then in a way, I'm elevating myself above him. Because I've, I've, I've argued now that, that it's my actions at the end of the day that really matter. Yeah. And when I look at the Gospels, I don't find anywhere in the New Testament the gospel of Stephen Lowry, meaning the the good news of Stephen Lowry saving himself. When I read the gospels, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of what Jesus did on my behalf, continues to do on my behalf. I mean, we could spend a, a whole other lesson just discussing his continuing intercession for us, yeah. given our sinfulness and, and struggles. But the 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 wonder of wonders that the gospel revealed to us is that Jesus is the power of salvation and whoever will believe in him finds security in that salvation. Even as, as Jesus indicates, as we read at the start of, of today's podcast, uh, when we're in his hand, there's nothing, no one, not even yourself, that can take <laughs> us out of his hand, yeah. that we are secure in him. So I think that kind of leads us towards the end of the the podcast, and really we want to frame the question to you in this way: Does that allow us then, if this is, we'll get into legalism too with this, but does does this allow us to just do whatever we want? I mean, if if there's nothing we can do or say that. Um, that ends that eternal salvation, nothing that we can think or ponder up that can end that. What do we do with that? How does that, how does that affect our lifestyle or does it? Yeah. And, and that's really, I think where some other denominations, uh, struggle with this question. And it goes to both sides of the spectrum yeah. too. It's, I mean, they, they think by whispering that it's possible by your disobedience, you might ultimately lose your salvation. If you have a period of time when your your heart gets disoriented, maybe, again, you, it feels as if you've lost a sense of faith that you might lose your salvation. Again, they, they use that, I think, to motivate people uh, with an element of fear, uh, to be faithful. When, when I look at the gospel, the motivation for faithfulness should be driven by the wonder of having been saved. I don't seek to do what's right in order to keep this gift, I, I want to do what's right because I've received it. I, I want to re- reflect a life that follows in the direction of Jesus because I, I marvel at what Jesus has, has, 
has been willing to do on my behalf. And so to, to, to ask the question, well, again, yeah. if, if, you, if you can't lose your salvation, does it give you license to live like the devil? I mean, doesn't that just give a person kind of a, a free opportunity <laughs> to do anything and everything that they want? And I would stress with you, if you read on into the New Testament, the answer to that is no. And the argument isn't because you might lose something that God has given. No, the argument is if you truly know him, you just won't do that because those who know him will begin to reflect the influence of knowing him. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, you're going to know the truth from the false by their fruit. And so, you know, there should be about our lives something that indicates our faith response. Uh, The apostle John in his little letter of first John, I think really kind of confronts this directly when he says this in first John two, four, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Hmm. And the truth is not in him. Now, that's not implying that there aren't instances where a a genuine Christian doesn't falter or stumble. I mean, uh, as I try to remind us all week by week, we're all still (laughs) wrestling with our own weaknesses, seeking to grow in grace. But John's right. If I truly know Jesus then there's going to be something observable in my life that indicates that influence. Yeah, I mean, I think spoiler, but we'll, we'll get to this exact point in John 15 when we approach that here. In, in oh, the next absolutely. Couple of weeks. We and will. The, absolutely. If, if there is, if you claim Christ to be your salvation, your life source, but there is no, there is no life fruit. There is no production of uh, the fruit there. And we'll get into that and again, soon I, later, but maybe you're listening and, and you're, you're thinking about a family member that, that you love, that maybe as a child uh, was active in church and and appeared to have made a public profession of faith, but they've spent the great majority of their life now outside the church. You don't see any indication of of Jesus influencing them in, in terms of the direction of their life. And so the question is, okay, did they lose their salvation? Or is the deeper question, did they ever really come to know Jesus as Savior? Yeah. And, and the New Testament would point you toward the second consideration, that when you look at a person's life and the direction of a person's life, if you don't see the fruit, as you alluded to from John 15, if you don't see the influence of the light of the world uh, in terms of who they are in the direction of their life, sadly, what that may indicate is that they never came to experience life in him. I mentioned John's little letter of 1 John. In that same letter, he goes on to, to say in chapter 2 and verse 19, referring to some who had abandoned the church, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Hmm. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Wow. In John's mind, it, it's... Again, it's uncomfortably black and white. He's trying to say, hey, if a person has associated with Christ for a period, but now for a much longer period of time, there seems to be no influence or association. It may indicate, though they were in close proximity to Jesus, they'd never truly come to experience life in him. And now that doesn't mean they, they still can't, Uh, I think if I have a a family member that has lived the great majority of their life living as if 
Jesus wasn't a part of their life, I would begin to pray for God to work in me and through me to talk with them about uh, the, the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, and it might help them to come to a point of a faith response. But, uh, you know, to, to wrap things up, the, the point I hope you'll take from today's lesson is this. If you have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you've received that gift that we've talked about, you should allow your heart to rest in the knowledge that you are secure in him. And that we, we do what we do, not to earn our salvation after the fact, but we do what we do because we have received the most extraordinary gift ever offered to man. The forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God, the possibility to live eternity in a life of blessing that, again, we can't even get our mind around. All of that is given to us as a gift. And I, I hope, as we've touched on that this afternoon, that it, it just encourages you uh, to love the Lord a little more, uh, to trust him a little more, and to rest in the, the comfort and knowing that as your good shepherd, he's got, he, he takes responsibility for yeah. you, and he'll see you home. No doubt. I think it's a great uh, prayer point for us to, to work on this week, to just pray for rest for yeah. um, for our listeners, for our church, for anyone. And you may want to pray that over yourself, your family, those that you know. Just pray for rest and comfort that, that uh, you can rest assured that there's nothing, um, how arrogant of us to, th- to think that <laughs> we could potentially do something that could uh, alter or harm uh, the eternal effects of yeah. a gift. And when you're tempted given to that, to just ask yourself, who has the greater power? Yeah. I mean, we just really need to puts us in, in the right seat. celebrate the power of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, we are praying for rest for you this week. We hope to see you tomorrow night at 630 for our um, activities across our campus. Students uh, online and in person at 630. Um, online and in person, adult Bible study in the worship center with Pastor Stephen at 630. And then kids activities in person in our children's area at 630. And then we'll see you again Sunday morning, 9 a.m. for our traditional service and 11 a.m. for our contemporary service. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Mm-hmm.